Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 2, Episode 6, Melora. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely. And you should find us and listen to us because, as I say all the time, we are awesome and we have a lot of fun. And uh, (laughs) I've actually recently on Twitter gotten into doing polling questions, which was kind of a new one for me. I see it from other people um, uh, here recently, but uh, I try to make mine as inane as possible. As in, like, if you were Odo, what is the most bizarre thing you would transform yourself into? And you had Ah. a choice. You had a choice of a Tribble, a Block of Wood, right. or Picard's Teapot. So you had to pick one of those things. Teapot. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly don't, enough... Don't let me be biased. Don't let me bias anybody now. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I found Picard's Teapot and Matching Glasses on Amazon recently. So, oh. uh, yeah. A little birthday gift to myself should be coming my way here real soon. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I got get you s- a little gift, too, didn't <laughs> yes, I? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Um, David got me a uh, Batleth multi-tool, which I was able yeah. to attach to my keychain. Oh. So again, it looks like the traditional uh, Batleth, like in the, in the style like uh, Lieutenant Worf used to have on Next Generation. But each of the little prongs is a different... Uh, tool like one's a flathead screwdriver, the other one's a Phillips. There's a hex uh, a hex screw. There's a wire stripper. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff all in this one thing. So um, pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. I've had a lot of fun trying to figure out different ways I could make myself use it. Yeah. Um, and I have to admit that um, I have stuck myself in my leg several times. <laughs> I'm putting, putting it in your to, pocket. Yes, yeah, so it's on my yeah. keychain, so getting yeah. stuck in my leg. I times. didn't know it was going to come as a keychain. So did you make the keychain part yourself, or did it come with the ability to do it, No, it came with the keychain attachment. So I was just like, all right, and it clipped right on, and off to the races, right. Yeah. I thought about it for a second because I was like, it's kind of large to truly be an appropriate keychain. Yeah, I know but, what you mean. But, I mean, as a multi-tool, you kind of want to have it with you yeah. everywhere. And just slipping it into your pocket, I wouldn't think of it every day to just slip it into my pocket. But I do think to take my keys with me yeah. when I leave. So I figured why not. So it works. Just right. uh, make I'm sure a great gift giver. <laughs> yeah. Just, just make sure you put it in your pocket the right way because, man, will it get you if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, can, I can imagine. Yeah, I – um. I have a Metroid morph ball on my keychain, which for people who don't know the, the Metroid series, Samus can turn herself into a, a, a ball, basically. And it's great on my keychain, but it's, you know, it's a ball, so it's a little too big, kind of. So, like, it's the biggest thing on my keychain. It looks great, but when I put it in my pocket, it's like, you gotta fit it in there just right, because it's this right. big. 
punkin ball piece of plastic. <laughs> All right. I may actually have to on the on the multi tool. I may have to take the the, I guess the link that it came with to the keys. Right. Take that off and get a different one, and then that way I can have the multi tool kind of hanging out of my pocket. Maybe that oh. will give me more greater comfort. Keep the keys in my pocket, but that will allow the allow the multi tool to hang out. Maybe okay. that will work. All I'll right. try that and see. But uh, the way it came with everything that it had, yeah, just not wieldy that way. <laughs> so going to have gotcha. to work on that. Gotcha. But again, I, I definitely enjoy it. And like I said, I've been finding different things to use it on. I think I've, you know, tightened the screws on my daughter's bedroom door three or four times now, you know, <laughs> just kind of walking around, just yeah. kind of seeing where it will fit and what yep. I can do, you know. So yep. Yeah, yeah. So it's great. Great it's awesome. gifts. I appreciate it. No problem. Yeah, for it. the record, so Perry has an actual Batleth hanging on his wall in his room, and he was telling me it's not a full life-size one, so I need a full life-size one. So I was like, ah, that'd be a great gift. Find Perry a full life-size <laughs> Batleth. And then I started doing research. I was like, um, well, it would be a great gift. I don't think I have the monetary means to yes. be buying a $200 gift for anybody at this yeah. time. So let's go with the smaller, more just fun and so, multi-tool and version. And David says a $200 gift, but I will tell you, because I've looked several times throughout the right. many years of me being a Star Trek fan for a Batleth, and it's funny because as I was telling David then, I when I looked years ago, I think when I was about, you know, maybe 15 looking for one of these things, I found them everywhere, and they were at an average anywhere from 65 to about 100, 120 bucks. That right. was the max. But now, with this kind of explosion of Trek, and then, of course, Discovery kind of reinventing Klingons and everything else, to find that kind of Batleth in that style, like we used to see, or we're used to seeing Worf have on Next Generation, it's incredibly rare. And if you do find one, or do find a person who's willing to make one, very expensive. Every time that I've ever come close to finding something that would be you know, seemingly doable still, it was like at least starting at like five, 600 bucks. And then to get what they called battle hardened or battle ready ones, mm-hmm. it was in the thousands. So just like, you know, I, I'm a nerd, but I'm not that much of a nerd. I'm not ready to invest right. that much just yet. Now, you know, come see me when I have a couple of pet ferrets, I guess. And maybe that'll be the, <laughs> thing, <laughs> the thing that I do. Gotcha. So. All right. So in other news though, how are you doing this week? How are you feeling about the end of February of 2022 and we're full steam ahead into this year? Oh, man. Well, let's just avoid national geopolitics and uh, (laughs) just talk about, you know, it's been great. I got my new 65-inch TV set up in my room. Um, So I got to watch this episode of Star Trek this week in 65-inch glory, which was lovely. Um, That's been fun. Uh, work's been great. Uh, I think I might be like one of the, our top salespersons so f- of the year so far. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's that's good to know. But um, yeah, things are good this year. How about you? How's February treating you? Well, you know, so far so good. No major upsets anywhere at this time. Um, yeah, just celebrated uh, my 36th birthday, and mm. you know, in, in my family, we this kicks off kind of birthday season for us. You know, my birthday is the 24th. My sister's is the 26th. Then my daughter's is um, March 6th. My mother is March 4th. 
my uh, wow, nieces please. and nephews, cousins, then they all kind of start from there. March 8th, March 10th, March 12th, March 15th. We just kind of steamroll through for a while. <laughs> and then we have, and I mean, seriously, then we have like a brief break at the end of March and then April kicks off and we've got a series of birthdays in April. So this for my family, like the next four months is pretty much heavy on birthdays. There's somebody gotcha. that seems to be having a birthday every week from now gotcha. to the next four months. So I don't know what alignment in the cosmos my family <laughs> fell under when all this nonsense happened, but um, yeah, we were we were certainly busy with production. Yeah, I was going to say, just look forward so, nine months ahead, nine months uh, in the past and figure out what that comes to. What everybody was there. doing, right? So, yeah. and it doesn't, yeah. And then we, and then of course it drops off. Then we get a couple of weird outliers here and there, but you know we don't really talk about them anyway. So I'm just saying, <laughs> this is this is birthday month. Well, at least this you're on the front season. end. You're on the yeah. front end of that, yeah. so no one's tired of birthdays when it comes to your turn, right? That's true. You are literally That's the true. front of that little list, actually, if I remember your dates yeah. correctly. <laughs> yes. I am the first. I kick it off, and then we kind of just roll through with everybody else. And I I love birthdays. I try to stay enthusiastic about birthdays, but I have to admit, by about May, I'm like, okay, listen, we're, we're done. We just need to – we're going to write all of y'all on, on one big card yeah. and send it around. Exactly. And that's, yep. that's how this is going to work. So. Yeah. Not only does it say, you know, happy birthday to you, but you get to sign it because the next person on the list gets to have it next. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, other than that, though, things have been uh, going well. I have Good. been continuing to, you know, invest a lot of time in um, – my overall health, diet, and things like that. Perfect. I have scheduled different appointments coming up to kind of address those other issues, you know, vision appointments, dental appointments, uh, physicals, all of that, trying to just establish a baseline of where I am and also what I can do to improve and be better. There you go. So. On that point, you should tell us how that, uh, was it HelloFresh, the uh, the food yes. ordering services was yes. going? What's your opinion? You've had a couple months, I guess a month or two to work on that. What do you think? Oh, no, not a couple of months. So February really kicked that off. I'd been planning it for a bit. Okay. But February officially was when I, you know, bought, I guess. Right. Um, so been doing it for three weeks. And... Um, I, I like it, but there are some there are some drawbacks. So um, sure. the first one being that um, the way in which the orders are set up, right? You you pick your day that it's going to come to you, and then they notify you. Like my day is Wednesday, so sure. my food is delivered every Wednesday. So, but then on the corresponding Friday, they will ask me to update my menu choices. Right, so I've suddenly decided. I want to go more vegetarian or pescatarian or whatever. I can make those changes. Sure. I have to make them by Friday so they have time to ship everything so it can get to me by the following Wednesday. Right. Um, I don't always remember. <laughs> so even though I've only been doing this for three weeks, so that's only really been three orders, I have to admit I have forgotten. And, you know, it was kind of like having to make last-minute adjustments. Oh, my God, you've got like – and it tells you like a little countdown. <laughs> you got to do it by like you got two hours left, or else you're not going to get whatever, you know. Right. Um, I do feel that their um, portion sizes and calorie counting that they give you is a bit misleading because there's a lot of things that they um, they list in the ingredients for the recipes, but right. they're not actually included in the pack. So when they tell you what the calorie count is on there, I believe that's just for 
what's in their pack. If you have to add anything else, like certain oils, or if the meal costs were making using butter for a sauce or mayonnaise or whatever, and it's right. not provided in there, if you are a person who's using this for dietary needs and you're trying to do calorie counting in any particular regard, or you're gauging your, you know, your macros, how many carbs, proteins, fats you're taking in, that can throw you off because mm. you know it's not on there, and right. you just kind of have to remember to you know add that in there but um and i mean i'm sure that wouldn't be hard but the only reason why i even pointed out is because there's a lot of different um diet apps and programs things like that that you can use which sync up with hello fresh right so it would be really easy for you to just type in oh you had the hello fresh smoked cheddar burger and then boom it tells you all your fats your carbs and everything else that you had but you had to add this oil or this sauce or this whatever and that isn't counted in there. right so that's anything okay so um, under accounts your calorie count overall y- yeah it's not every time it's not every meal that they give you but there are just certain ones that will call for extra and it tells you that it needs the extra but it doesn't ah, account for it it right. doesn't account for it in their in the little document they send you gotcha. to make it so that's why i say it's a it's an issue okay um and then uh, the other thing too is it talks about like substitutions for certain things. Like if you, again, carbs are always going to be the easy go-to there. So if you're trying to watch your carb intake and the meal this time has rice, which has a lot of carbs in it, and you need to substitute for rice, I mean, that's great. And they say that you can substitute stuff for rice, but they don't necessarily tell you what the substitute is. So ah. if, you're, if you're not experienced with cooking and know these things, that could be hard for you to make those adjustments. So, gotcha. I would always, I guess at the end of the day, I would say for any of the meals, just always double check them before you go to make them. And then make sure that if you do need to make any kind of substitutions, you plan ahead of time to do it. I I was caught off guard because I wasn't thinking about it at first. And I would just go in and grab a bag and kind of like surprise myself that night. What what am I going to have for dinner? And that's what would throw me off because suddenly I would pull it out and be like, oh, I don't, I don't want to eat this because then I would be over my carb limit, you know, that kind of thing. So that's all I'm saying. Just check it out. Um, But other than those things, I actually have been enjoying it. I enjoy the fact that it's one, one less thing I have to do every week of going grocery shopping. Right. Right. Um, I, you know, I love the fact that everything is already, you know, for the most part, again, it's, it's portioned up. So if you're doing portion control, this makes it really easy for you. Right. And I, um, I like the fact that, um, there's a, a lot of variety. I don't like leftovers. Right. I, I've never been a person who can do that. So like meal prep stuff has always been very hard for me because by like day three, day four of the meal prep, I'm bored and I don't want to eat it. Right. This is a great alternative for that. Right. And it gives me the constant variety that really has helped me. So I'm enjoying that part too. So overall, uh, plus you are saving money. I did do the math. I did look the stuff up and the way that I would buy food and everything else. I was definitely spending more money going to the store and buying the groceries because I wouldn't just buy for one meal. I would buy for multiple meals. Right. You know, Mm-hmm. And then stuff would go to waste, and you didn't. I didn't use it on time. Got to throw it out. Got to do all this stuff. Yeah. And before you know it, you've thrown away a hundred, hundred and twenty bucks worth of food. Yeah. 
Whereas you could have taken that and paid for HelloFresh for right. about a hundred bucks. Right. And it you're gave now, exactly what you needed. Exactly what you needed and you used it all. Right. And then by the time it's running out, you got your next order. Right. So yeah. That it's definitely so it definitely will save you, but it will save you so long as you stick to it. If right. you deviate, you start doing other things or just grocery shopping anyway, because you're used to it. Right. You really have to break that habit first and then yeah. Yes, you know. I didn't even think about that, but that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And we're grocery shopping under normal circumstances. Yeah, right. And when you're so used to doing it every week, to suddenly not have to do it, it almost strikes you as bizarre. You almost start to come up with reasons to go to the store because you're so <laughs> used to you're so used to going. And yeah. I mean, I found myself a couple times being like, "Man, normally what would I be doing? Oh, yeah, you'd be at the grocery store right now." Yeah. Oh, okay, well, do, are you sure you don't need that? You that was my conversation yeah. these past couple of weeks. Yeah. Know? So do I really um, need those snacks? Do I really need that one little thing? Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. So, um, but yeah, so just bear all that in mind. If you are a person who's trying it and also bear in mind, please, I am not, we are not, this show is not in any way endorsed by HelloFresh. It's just an <laughs> experiment that I was trying to do for my own personal uh, gain here. It has nothing to do with HelloFresh. I was not asked to do a deep dive on HelloFresh. I just did it because I wanted to. So, hey, HelloFresh, right. if you want to hit us up, let us know. Uh, yeah, now, if you want to send me a week's worth of free meals, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to turn that down. Yeah. I'm just saying, as of this moment... No sponsorships of any kind, no money, no conversations. I, I personally kind of am holding out. This whole thing has been me just waiting for them to call me up and say, David, why aren't you on the bandwagon yet? I've been like, hey. Exactly, guys. This was actually <laughs> a, the long con to get David signed up and get free meals. So, Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. But, well, we should probably yes, talk about Star right. Trek. I'm just saying, but we're not here for that. We are not here for the HelloFresh infomercial. We are here for Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the much-beloved TV series. Yeah. And tonight, as David said earlier, you might have forgotten because I went on this tangent about HelloFresh for so long, we are here to talk about the episode Melora, Season mm. 2, Episode 6 Yes, of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So, David, would you like to give our recap? I can do so. All right, so we are on the station. We have a medical log from Dr. Bashir. He's telling us that he and Chief O'Brien have been working overtime to prepare for a new ensign, a cartographer named Melora Paslar. And this episode is called Melora, so that's who it references. Uh, she is a, an Alasian who lives on a planet with lower gravity than most other races in the Federation. Uh, have to deal with. So she is the first of her kind to be a part of Starfleet. And that means that her needs for gravity are different than everyone else's. So she has sent the specs for a wheelchair that she and Dr. Bashir, that Dr. Bashir and Lieutenant Dax are both testing out when the episode begins. And Lieutenant Dax is saying, you know, it's been 300 years since she's even seen a wheelchair. Uh, apparently this wheelchair was actually sent to them directly by, uh, uh, Melora, she's the one who gave the specifications, and they put it to the replicator. Uh, now, Doctor Bashir has made a slight, you know, change or two to it from what the uh, specs were, um, but they can't institute the normal anti-grav unit into Deep Space Nine that they would have used because the Cardassian technology does not sync well with this technology here. So. Uh, they get notification that the USS Yellowstone has just docked, and so they head that way, and uh, off comes uh, Dr. Melora. She is 
immediately someone who we, we know she's struggling to move in this harsher gravity. She's wearing a special kind of suit, and you know, it's to help her maneuver herself around. She's basically act. She's comes off as someone who's almost like paralyzed, even um, in the way that she has to move with, you know, like in this in this suit that she has for herself. And when she sits down in the wheelchair, she immediately notices Doctor Pursuer's changes, and you know comments on them and he says oh, I could change them back if you don't like them and she's very kind of gruff very short you know I don't need help I don't I'll just get used to it I'm just I'm not gonna make changes I'm gonna get used to it um now I should mention that O'Brien before they went to the airlock had pointed out that they weren't able to institute ramps in all the places on the station so he was basically saying that she's gonna have difficulty getting to certain places and uh so when she's there she says you know, I got used to going where I needed to go, so uh, I'll make do. Uh, now, in her personal quarters, they have instituted some low-gravity um, technology. So when she gets to her own quarters, she'll be able to uh, use that lower gravity to maneuver herself. But throughout the rest of the station, she'll be a little bit cut off from other parts of the station. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, in Quark's, Quark is talking with someone and he basically, Cork is trying to make a deal. He has certain relics from a certain Eridian, uh, a certain Eridian man is looking for, and so Cork says, um, "Rings of Paltris." Is that what it was? It looked I like more like they're well, they're little statue-looking things. They weren't rings. Yeah, no, no, that's what that's what they're called. They are oh. they are rings, but that's what they're oh. called. There were several of them, oh. and he was looking for a collection, and I believe they were called the Rings of Paltris. And I think he says there's like. 42 of them or yes. something like that. Yeah, that's right. And um, Cork says that he will sell them to this gentleman for 199 bars of gold-pressed latinum. That's important, so keep track of that number. <laughs> During that little conversation, he notices another man, another alien, enter the bar. And Cork is immediately disturbed and flustered. Uh, apparently, this new man is Fallet Cott. And uh, we're going to learn that he is basically a former companion of Quark's in that during a bad thieving run, uh, they were caught, he, the two of them, and I guess some others, and Quark basically turned on his teammates, and Cot was one of those who had to go to jail, prison, I believe with the uh, Klingons, and do some hard labor for like eight years. Eight years. And he... He walks in and says to Quark, I'm going to kill you. So, obviously, Quark is very flustered. Um, but for the moment, um, Mashir and Dax are trying to talk to Cisco, and they're telling him, we don't think that Instant Melora should go to the Gamma Quadrant by herself. You know, it's, it's not only is she an Ensign, so it makes sense that she shouldn't be going by herself, but there's also her disabilities. Um, now, of course, when Melora shows up and sees everyone's talking about her, she immediately gets upset, and she's like, why are y'all talking about me without me having a chance to be there and hear the conversation? And Cisco says, hey, like, I have meetings with my senior officers all the time. Like, there's nothing out of the way going on here. Uh, we're just having a normal conversation. And she tries to make her point of, look, I can do this by myself. I don't need help. And Cisco just says straight up. I don't think it's a good idea for you to go by yourself. And she reluctantly accepts that, and uh, Dax is tasked as being the one that will go with her into the Gamma Quadrant the very next day. 
Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Perry, but I believe it's that night um, that, well, yes, it was that, that night where um, Dr. Bashir goes uh, to her quarters and tries to be, is, makes an overture to get her to kind of lower down her guard. Um, and being Dr. Bashir, I have to say, I thought his first attempts were just him trying to woo a woman because that's kind of the guy he is. But he actually makes a pretty good point. He says, he you know, yeah, he's like, Melora, look, you're always on edge. You're always sensitive about this, you know, about this disability. I and mean, I don't think he says that, but like, you know, you're always sensitive that, you know, think you think everyone's just thinking you as a burden. And so you're always kind of on edge and you're always throwing aggressive comments Yards. to people to get them to um, kind of back off. And it means that you're kind of alone and isolated. And she recognizes that he actually is right. And when she tries to make a smart comment, he even says, oh, the the barrier or something comes up again. What, do you remember what the line he says right there? He says something like uh, – He's like, uh, she says that um, she didn't mean to. And he goes, of course you meant to. Right. Uh, you're too yes. good at it. You're too right. good at it. Of course you meant to. Right. Um, but there's another line she he says, like, you, you put your walls back up or something like that. But anyway, um, he talks to her, and she allows him to basically stay in her room while she turns the lower gravity on. And as soon as she does, she's immediately able to start flipping around and enjoy the lower gravity and invites Bashir to do so as well. And so they have fun kind of getting used to the lower gravity and they start kissing um so dr bashir and melora are now kind of romantically interested in one another um meanwhile quark tries to serve a meal to his former buddy cot and uh cot like dumps the food on the ground and breaks the glass and says like none of this is going to stop me from killing you um so quark he ends up running to Odo eventually and tries to tell Odo that like this guy's trying to kill me like I need you to protect me and Odo's like I haven't seen him do anything wrong I'm gonna keep doing my job so maybe you should wear a comm badge and if there's ever something you're worried about you just call me and Quark is like well at the first sign of trouble I'm gonna be dead like I need you to do something about it now so Quark I'm sorry Odo does call in Cot and basically tell him Quark has told me you've threatened his life and Cot just says, I haven't done anything wrong. You can't do anything to me. To which Odo is like, yeah, that's pretty much true. So Cot is still allowed to kind of go about this way on the station. Um, and that's kind of where we are for the moment. So on the trip to the wormhole, Melora and Dax are talking. And Melora decides to ask, like, so Dax, what is your opinion on romantic relationships in Starfleet? And they get to talking about it. And basically the conversation comes to the fact that it's really hard to have romantic relationships in the Federation. Um, people are so often moved around that it's hard to maintain relationships. But she has known, like, there was an alien couple that was only able to stay in physical, in the same physical space for like 40 minutes at a time without their various, you know, apparatus and breathing uh, capabilities, but they still were a couple for like 53 years. So they made it work. Who knows? And she, Dax realizes that Melora is interested in Dr. Bashir. Um, and then Dax uses the story of the little mermaid 
this explain, you know, there was once a story on Earth about a little mermaid. She, she fell in love with the human on land, and so she gained legs and went to live on land. And Melora asks, so is that like a happy ending story? And Dax doesn't really answer, um, so it could go either way. So it's like, oh, I don't know. Should, should Melora explore this relationship with Dr. Bashir? I mean, they seem interested in each other. Um, when they get back to the station... Dr. Bashir explains to her that he has been doing some research on ways that she could uh, gain the ability to walk in the regular gravity of everyone else. And so he begins doing this experiment of sorts on her, uh, using research that had been kind of basically abandoned a long time ago, but he had rediscovered the, he rediscovers the, the research and starts using it. And basically, if I were to summarize it, um, again, Perry, correct me if I'm wrong here, but he's basically somehow stimulating her brain to basically kind of tell her body to endure the gravity more. And so the very so first... It's, it's more... the So you're talking about the medical procedure, and it yes. was more along the lines of it was strengthening her uh, neural receptors so that right. her... And then it was also stimulating... The, the whole process was... Strengthening the neural receptors, stimulating muscle growth and development, and right. enhancing the overall connections in her body so that right. she would have the greater ability of, well, mobility. Right. So it wasn't just that, oh, her, her neurons need to be, you know, firing more. It was even her muscles needed to be enhanced to a, uh, to a point that she could actually handle the stress and strain of, gotcha. of maneuvering on her own power. Right. But I would certainly say that it seems like the emphasis is on her brain. And the reason I mentioned that is because something's going to happen later on. Well, it, uh, starts, it definitely started there because they were basically saying that she had a certain amount of muscle tone and definition, but that right. her brain naturally, because of her, her alien physiology, did not produce the same amount of, of neural firings, neurosynaptic firings or whatever are right. on the same level as, say, a human did. So that's why she also lacked the control. Right. So they were starting with the brain first, and then we're going to move through and do the muscle augmentation and stuff later on. Gotcha. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Um, so the first time they do it, she's able to stand and be more active for longer than – or more so than she usually could. And so she goes to ops with Bashir um, under her own power and – goes to show Cisco her results of her first trip, but while she's there, she begins to lose uh, the ability to continue standing. So Bashir is like, hey, we'll do more of these. We'll, we'll, we'll take this, and we'll every time we do this experiment, every day you should have more ability to last longer. And eventually, as he explains, eventually you'll be able to completely stand in the gravity like the rest of us. But as he reveals, it's going to... There's basically kind of three options either she's going to gain the ability to live in normal gravity but lose the what makes her unique amongst her own people so for example the bed she was sleeping in now feels heavy and hard and it hurt her body to sleep in in regular gravity she'll lose the ability to kind of maneuver around in low gravity like we've seen her uh, but if they keep doing this half measure where if she, if she doesn't commit either way and they're they don't allow her body to get used to doing this. Uh, if they don't fully transition her after a certain point, then she might lose motor functions completely, like fine motor skills. So either she needs to commit completely to the process, back out of it, and stay as she is, or she could have a third bad option. So um, in the end, oh, well, I'll get that, I guess. Um, so she's 
revealed that. But before anything is decided, they're out once again. She and Dax are out um, in the wormhole. They, they talk more, and they come back. And in the meantime, Cork is abducted by Cot. And Cot... Um, uh, when they when Dax and Melora come back to the station, he um, kidnaps Quark using the 199 gold pl- pl- uh, press latinum, uh, and they steal the 42 piece the rings from the other alien. And he goes to kidnap he kidnaps Quark and takes him to the ship to escape. And so Dax is basically forced to take him away. Melora, being weak, isn't able to fight back. And so uh, Cisco tries using the gra- gravity beam to, or I'm sorry, tractor beam to hold the ship and so they can bring it back. But he threatens to kill everyone on, this, on the ship unless he's let go. And to prove that he's serious, he shoots Melora. Um, so she is seemingly dead. But uh, so they let the tractor beam go, but the three of uh, Cisco, Bashir, and O'Brien get into a runabout to chase the ship down. And. Amongst what, as Dax distracts Cot, um, it turns out that Melora is still alive and she's able to turn off the gravity, or at least lower the gravity, so that takes Cot off his feet. She rushes him and is able to save the ship right as Cisco and Bashir uh, beam on. And so we're saved, and they go back to the station. Melora decides that she is not going to go forward with the changing of her physiology in order to live in higher gravity uh and whatever ramifications that means with her and Bashir that's just going to be how it is but she doesn't want to lose the what makes her unique as um, one of her own race and that's basically the end did I miss anything nothing that we can't talk about here is that we do our deep dive but for a summation we are good great um and of course as we always say if there is anything that was missed you have the lovely option to go and watch the episode. That's right. In fact, we strongly encourage that you do so, then come back and join us, and you'll be further enriched. Okay? So, go watch it. Pause this. Go watch it. And come (laughs) back. Okay? Yeah. Or heck, do yourself a favor and turn it on, and then play us at the same time. Put the episode on low, but then play us at the same time and you can do a play-by-play of what's going on and see if uh, we got it right or if you agree or disagree. Yeah. So there you go. But no, I think that you did a great job and now we can dive right into it and we can talk about a scene that you didn't talk about but is one of my favorites. Can I say what it is? I know what it was. It's they go to get a meal from the Klingon chef. And not only is it the most disgusting looking food ever, but Melora, like, actually orders properly in true Klingon fashion in proper, like, like she says it. Yeah, she, like, Klingon. Not only is she just saying the words, but she says it with the proper, like, attitude and Klingon. And the chef says, I love a woman who knows what she wants. And then at the end of the episode, when she and Bashir are talking about her choice to not go forward with the procedure, um, that same chef, Klingon chef, uh, he starts singing with a, well, it looks kind of like a violin, but he's strumming it more like a guitar. Uh, but he starts singing some sort of ballad as he walks through uh, this through this dining area, which is a reference also to the music that Dax and Melora were listening to on the runabout when they were doing their research and talking about uh, romance and Starfleet. There was 
basically Dax says that this one particular Klingon musician just he's so different than what you would expect from a Klingon. Uh, it's beautiful music uh, for what it is, you know. Um, so it just shows you a side to the Klingons that I've never seen before. So that was interesting. It is Klingon. I guess it's Klingon opera because we don't really have much in the way of knowing what songs or, or what the music styling is. But we've heard a lot of references to Klingon opera um, before this. Right. Um, Worf, Worf was a huge fan of Klingon opera. And um, so it's kind of <laughs> that's kind of what we're left to intimate is the song he's singing is Klingon opera. But I mean, it could be some kind of Klingon love song. I don't know, you know, their, whatever their popular music is. I always took the instrument that he was playing as some kind of lute of some kind, you know, uh-huh. uh, that made sense for the size and the very few strings that it had. Um, and the music and the sound that it made also reminded me of a lute. So that's what I always thought that that was. But, uh-huh. um, yeah, both of those scenes are great scenes because they give me what is one of those things I love the most, which is world building. We yes. get to see more of the station because uh-huh. so far when it comes to eating spots, you know, we've only seen Quarks and the Replimat. And then, of course, you know, somebody's quarters or whatever. So mm-hmm. now there's a we know there's a Klingon bar that seems to be pretty popular because, you know, they were in line. Uh-huh. To get their food, and as soon as they got their stuff and, and moved on, up came some more customers. So, yeah, seems to be a pretty good place, despite as David called it, it's disgusting looking food. They literally are using earthworms as some stand in yes. for the Klingon alien. <laughs> I don't know what they do for to gah. it, yeah, right. And uh, she says, like, I don't want half dead, gah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but they're definitely earthworms, <laughs> yes. So now, I mean, and then whatever it is that Julian eats is clearly a very fake, you know, gummy worm looking thing. But uh, still, I I love that. I wish they had taken more of a cue from a Next Gen episode that was in season two, I believe, where Riker is doing the exchange program. And before he leaves the Enterprise, he has uh-huh. this massive feast. And um, yes. Captain Picard and Dr. <laughs> um, Dr. Pulaski join him. Yes. And he's got all of these different foods that look just, some of them just look so awful. Right. And he's eating them with such enthusiasm. And gusto. Yes. And yeah. I wish that they had, you know, kind of brought some of that back. Yeah. And, and given us that in this scene. Right. But at the same time, I can, uh, you know, I kind of get it. You know, you have a legit Klingon serving this stuff up. So you're probably not going to have the pretty versions yeah. of food there, you know. Right. But still, I love the scene because, again, we get to see this another aspect of Klingon life. He's not a warrior. He's not a politician, an ambassador or whatever. He's a chef. Yeah. You know? And he seems to very much enjoy his job. He loved right. the exchange he had with Melora there. Uh-huh. And, he, and he sings. He plays yeah. an instrument. Like So we get to see <laughs> this other character who, for the two scenes that he's in... Right. Very well-rounded character. He's a yes. chef. What do we know about him already? He's a chef. He plays music. He sings. He yeah. interacts with his customers. Again, a lot yeah. from this one guy. So yes. I, I just, I ate that scene up, man. I just yeah. loved it so, so much. So yeah. Um, yeah, anytime that we get episodes that do that kind of world building for me, um, yeah, I'm going to love them. Every, I'm going to call them out every time. So, right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's a fun scene. And, um, yeah, it also shows again that Melora, when she like orders in 
correct Klingon. It just shows that she is someone who truly has taken seriously her ability to stand up for herself. She can stand up to a Klingon and order properly. So anytime we have ever, or the or our characters have ever considered her, oh, we should maybe give her a little more space, you know, treat her with kid gloves. No, she doesn't want to be treated with kid gloves, and being able to order directly from a Klingon is one more proof of that through this episode for her. Yeah. In this episode, obviously, the 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 story is dealing with um, disability and adversity and how you can, um, you know, accept it about yourself, but also move move beyond it. Right. You know, she her whole thing was about the fact that you know she did not view herself as disabled, and so she right. was constantly feeling a need to prove that to other people that she could do the job she could handle the stresses she didn't need any other kind of consideration as you said you know she was very she was kind of turned off at first when you know Bashir presented her with this you know wheelchair that he had modified and she had already been practicing on the other type for a while then his modification threw her off she did not allow him to make the modification like turn it back she's like nope I just have to adapt and move on she doesn't want any kind of consideration Right. Um, but yeah, also, as you said, her attitude is very, you know, she's very abrupt, very gruff with people. Mm-hmm. And um, some people might read that as, you know, just that tough loner capability, you know, that kind of mentality. But as we as we have discovered time and again in just all of Star Trek. Right. Um, they very much preach the idea that you know no one is an island. You're yeah. a part of a crew. You need to rely on your crew. And her attitude flies in the face of all of that. Right. And um, I have to admit, I I was surprised by, but also enjoyed Cisco gently reminding her of that right. when she first approaches. She's like, "Oh, you're having a meeting without me." And he's like, "Um, I have meetings with my staff all the time. It's not a right. slight against you." for us to be conducting our business. Right. You know, and also telling her he's not going to send her into the Gamma Quadrant uh, yeah. by herself. I mean, yeah. and he's just like, and it's like, it has nothing to do with your your physical status. The Gamma Quadrant is new to all of us. And right. you are a junior officer. I would never send you alone anywhere, right. let yeah. alone into the Gamma Quadrant by yourself. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's just like a lot of that stuff that, um, I mean, I'm not a, disabled person but the whole point of this episode was trying to help frame both sides of it for a person who is disabled and having to view everything through that lens to the other side being where for however well-intentioned right our our actions may be it could be seen as a slight and that's what we see a lot with the interactions initially between Melora and Bashir. Right. He's is he's always well meaning. That's one thing right. you can always say about Julian. He's always well meaning, <laughs> yeah. but he's just so naive about a lot of things that he just trips over himself. Right. Um but we didn't actually see him doing that a whole lot here. Yeah. Yes, when they first met, there yes. was that little stumbling, right. but he recovered very well and moved oh, yeah. right into I mean, he kind of skipped a couple of steps in my opinion and went straight to, you know, hitting on her. Yeah. Um, a little bit. But yeah, you know, he <laughs> And he she's into it well. as soon as she realizes like he's not gonna stop uh making his point, like she actually has a nice big old smile on her face. Like she appreciates Julian's pushback she appreciates that he's got something to say to her like i i have an insight into who you are and your personality i have something to say to you she appreciates that and normally with with bashir he would be wrong he's usually a knucklehead a lot of times 
or at least he was in season one. Um, but this time he is right. He actually has something to say yes. and she does appreciate that feedback. And I mean, when I guess it was a commercial break where they're floating in her quarters mm-hmm. kissing, um, I was like, are they going to like when Dax was showing up the next morning and she couldn't figure out where, um, where Melora was, <laughs> I thought they were going to say that like, they went back to Bashir's place or something. Like that's where, like when Dax says, where is she? It'll be like, Oh, she's in Bashir's quarters. Uh, but it turns out, and this is one thing I actually forgot to mention. She had actually tried going over, I guess, to the runabout by herself and had fallen and couldn't get up. And, um, she's extremely embarrassed by that. She's like, you know, mm-hmm. if I had just done, if I hadn't been distracted, I wouldn't have fallen over. I could have, like, I don't want help. I don't need help. I just have to rely on myself. But no, in that moment, she needed Dax to help get her back up. And actually, delay, that delays their uh, um, their departure by a day for their first excursion. Um, and we and we really don't know how long she laid there. I mean, it could have been hours. Yeah. You right. know? And even Dax seemed so surprised when, you know, she used the computer to try to find her. And right. she was in this random area of the station, you know. Right. And, and then she, even when she does find her, she's just like... Um, you know, why did the who designs a lip at the edge of every entranceway? That right. critique of of Cardassian right. um, architecture, Design. you yeah. know. But a, again, it just goes to show, uh, like you said, she, from what we could understand, or at least from what Dax was saying, whatever it was she was trying to do was unnecessary, and right. most likely probably could have waited until it was actually time for them to go before right. she needed to be wherever she was. And so right. again, we don't know how long she laid there. She could have been there for hours, right? You know, and just mm-hmm. struggling and unable to contact anybody. Which right. I, I, I guess what we're supposed to do here is again sympathize with the person who wants to be seen as normal and right. treated equally right. but we all and again from the other side it's supposed to be that we all have to yeah. accept our limitations there are just some things you can't do right and i believe um, it's dax who says like we all rely on each other like it's yes. not uncommon for us to need each other's help and it also kind of tells you you know how cardassians feel about um disability or weakness because they don't they don't Make they, nothing was built into their system to accommodate a person who may have that kind of disability. Nothing right. about the station said it would be accessible to a person right. like her. And know? to be fair, the Cardassians in this moment, as Dax says at the beginning of the episode, has been 300 years since she's seen anybody who needed a wheelchair, or at the very least, that this woman normally has an anti-grav capability, uh, like a device, but for some reason the Cardassian technology doesn't fit with that, so it I, I totally agree that I believe the Cardassians are that type of people, but to give them the benefit of the doubt, at least in this moment, it's the technologies that's not working for her, not that the Cardassians specifically well excluded her from their designs. But I well, know right. she and, yeah. and again, though, it was still to me, it still has a standout about Cardassian architecture because the traditional um, um, weightless technology that Melora would use elsewhere and that she had used elsewhere uh-huh. for whatever reason was not going to work on the station. That's why they had to give her the chair in the first place. Right. So there was something about Cardassian architecture overall that just again wasn't designed right. for that kind of individual. Yeah. And then it's further um, you know stamped home in the fact that she will have difficulty just walking through the doors because the there's no ramp. There's no yeah. ease of access flowway. Everything has this lip on it that you have to step over all the time and you right. know what i have to admit in all the times that i've watched um uh d 
Deep Space Nine. I never noticed that until they pointed it out in this episode. They do. Every doorway that they walk through, you have to step over. Yeah. And, you know, I, I thought about that and I was just like putting myself into it. Mm-hmm. I think that would be incredibly annoying to me. Like oh, even I say, yes. as a regular, just as a full body, fully able bodied person, right. having to pick my leg up that half a step to go over that right. would annoy the heck out of me. To say well, nothing of if it's an emergency and you're running through a doorway, well, right? When well, well, I was thinking about that though because when you um, um whenever you've seen like a movie about a submarine, like I was watching um. What was it? Red Dawn or oh, Crimson Tide. That's what it was. Crimson Tide with Denzel Washington. Great movie. But like as I was watching that recently, I was like, oh, right. The uh, all of the the bulkheads, the doorways have to be able to shut against the water. So mm-hmm. like they actually there is that lip there. So if the space right. station is operating under a similar principle, it actually kind of makes sense uh, mm-hmm. if they're using the same uh reasoning but um i imagine a space station and a submarine are two very very different things <laughs> or yeah, at very least I, like i would assume that they're probably designed similarly because yeah. they do have to maintain that 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 pressure yes. you know for air and everything else so probably the same kind of design right. um thoughts there but still i just feel like it would annoy me if i had oh, to do 100%, time, 100%, you know? <laughs> so yeah. i can i can get her fr- frustration there yeah. as well yeah um, but this episode also is one of the few times that Star Trek attempts to uh, talk about um, physical disability. You mm-hmm. know, um, we don't, again, it's not something that we see very often. In fact, the only other episode I can really think of that dealt with it in such a direct manner is also another Next Gen episode. And it's the one where Worf has the barrel that falls on him and crushes his spine. Mm. And um, yeah. he's paralyzed from, yeah. I believe, from like, the waist down, middle of his back down, at least. Yeah, well, and he is... wants to commit. He wants to commit suicide. Right behind it, ritual suicide. Yes, yes. ritual Klingon a, suicide. Yeah. Yes, because he's a Klingon warrior, and he can no longer stand and fight and greet his enemies. Right, and because of this, he feels that his life is over, and right. he asks Riker to assist him in the suicide, and right. then Riker turns that to his son Alexander. Right. And then, of course, this leads to Worf deciding not to go through with the suicide, the risky medical procedure, and... A, um, a total spine replacement. Yes. Which yeah. was successful, obviously. Yes. Uh, almost not successful, but was successful. Um, I, we've talked about that episode before, because also the same one where Dr. Crusher, like the other woman, the other female doctor who comes aboard to help do that procedure, she's willing to take a lot of medical risks, and Dr. Crusher's like, no, we don't treat our patience as experiments great episode i was all around a great episode you're totally right yeah since great then, episode for dealing with disability for dealing with people with questionable medical ethics right um just yeah uh, personal touching moments between morph and his son right. uh you know one of the few that we have which um sidebar i'm on a side i'm on a quest to find a way to redeem morph but uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. But yes, gotcha. it, it's a great all-around episode. But I know that it's also an episode that um, came up with a lot of con- a show like that particular episode mm. where this once strong, proud character is now brought low and to a point where he feels like his only option is suicide. I know that that did not um didn't sit well 
yeah. with a lot of disabled individuals, you know, mm. and, you know, that's something that, you know, Dr. Crusher brings up a lot in her argument about, you know, when she finds out about Worf's desire to commit suicide, about right. how he can still live a very full life. People have lived full lives with disabilities for centuries. Right. But, you know, Picard is the one who is sticking up for Worf from the cultural standpoint. Yes. That he's saying, yes, in human societies, in, in, in similar societies like humanity. Right. Being able to cope with that kind of loss is possible, but for right. Worf, as a member of a uh, warrior race, right. it's not. Right. And even with him making that distinction, I know this episode rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. So yeah. um, I feel like that mixed reviews reception there for that one is probably a reason that we don't see a lot of episodes that dealt with this particular issue. And uh, seeing it here and done in a different way in which at the end, the character who never really had a problem with accepting herself and who and how she was right. originally yes. turns down something that in our eyes would have made her normal. Right. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I like what you're pointing out there. Like with, uh, with Worf, you know, Oh, we don't have any magical technology these days that could solve someone's, you know, crippling back injury. So to, give that as a solution in an episode to a character who would say, I'm otherwise going to commit suicide. That definitely could rub people the wrong way. If I remember correctly, he says he's willing to not commit suicide in order to go through with the, the surgery as in the surgery was so experimental and dangerous that it could still leave him paralyzed, but he was willing to still live. Was he still going to live even if the surgery wasn't successful or was it just to test no. the surgery? So if I remember correctly, the real he was doing the surgery because it gave him an option of death. Right. Because the surgery was so experimental that if it didn't go well, he was going to die. It wasn't right. going to be a matter of uh, him just being paralyzed anymore. It was either the surgery was success successful or he dies. Yeah, he's either restored how... to his full capacity or he's right. killed or he's in a... the process. And he's exactly. a warrior. He's willing to endure that risk kind of thing. Yeah. Right, and yeah. that's the point that Picard makes is that he doesn't know how to cope with disability, but he's all he knows all about taking risks, right. and this is a risk that he can understand and, in his own way, confront. And that's why Worf was willing to do it. It didn't have right. anything to do with otherwise being disabled. And it's also part of the reason that um, a major part of the reason that Doctor Crusher objected because. Right. She was, you know, operating under the, you know, the first tenet of medicine, do no harm, and that right. this could this could kill him. He right. was alive. He was he could move forward. Yes. But this would kill him if they right. did it and they got it wrong. Right. So that's why she was so so against it. Um right. but as we as she says, you know, you gambled, but Worf won. Right. You know, yeah. so and we obviously got our oh, we got our favorite Klingon, Klingon yeah. back. So hey, there's <laughs> yes. another episode you should go and watch. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I think that's great a great stuff. one for sure. Um, yeah, I uh, I'm gonna go ahead and kind of jump you here a little bit and tell you what I thought the weakest point in this episode was. Um, okay, go ahead. Yeah, Fallot caught the Quark's uh, former partner in crime. I thought him coming to the station and immediately announcing to Quark, "I'm gonna kill you." I was like, I just sighed. I was like, the only reason they're doing this is because they're not going to immediately jump into the threat of him actually doing anything, but we need to wait a little bit for him to do something. So this is just kind of, it just builds up some tension. Oh, we have this character who is threatened Quark, and what are we going to do about that? And, oh, will he, will he or won't he? Will he or won't he? 
And then at the very end of the episode, he takes Quark hostage and, and does what he needs to do for the climax of the episode to happen. So I was, I was annoyed because I was like, no rational... Like, if you wanted to kill someone, I don't think you would... Right, unless you were to. just trying to intimidate them and you were just blustering, would you actually say, I'm going to kill you? Like, if you actually mean to do it, like, as soon as he saw Quark, it was a dark private area like corks bar was closed i believe at the time that that he walks mm-hmm. in so he could have done it right then and there and bent over and like, escaped uh, i don't know maybe he didn't have a plan to get away but um so i was a little annoyed with that i also thought the makeup where like he has this like horn like thing over his yeah, nose down to goes, his chin yeah that connects and covers the mouth and then like i was like how do you eat and then cork literally tries to feed him and he actually at one point does put food in his mouth and i was like he puts it think... in. He puts it in the side. He does. Yeah. He picks up, he picks up the. I think it was um, some kind of mollusk. I forgot the name of the dish. Yes. But he picks it up and he does put it on the side, missing that little bar there. Yeah. I I thought that was a, a, one of the sillier designs. Oh my gosh! Uh, I can imagine for Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, when the actor was told, all right, you're going to put this thing on your face. And there's that scene that you've read in the script where you have to eat something. <laughs> I'd have been like, guys. I oh, love the scene, but we got to do something about this weird horn thing from my nose and chin. I wonder how many times they had to reshoot that scene because he just yeah. instinctively grabbed it and went to put it in his mouth <laughs> and hit that bone bar yeah. right there. Yeah. And they were like, nope, you got to do it from the side, man. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I agree. Like this, this B plot here um, didn't do enough to distract us from right. the A plot. So it, yes. it's definitely very weak. You're right. Weak his yeah. his announcement coming in and being like, I'm going to kill you, Quark. It's just like, if you want to level a threat at somebody, you got to come up with something a little bit better than that. I would have preferred if he had kind of gone the more silent route. Right. He's kind of been very ominous and we just see him in multiple scenes right. glaring at Quark or sneaking up on Quark or whatever until exactly. finally... It comes to that moment when Quark is trying to do that exchange for those uh, for the rings and right. the um, and the gold plush platinum, and he jumps out, and we finally figure out who this guy who's been stalking Quark the whole episode is, right. and he reveals that he's there to take Quark hostage or kill Quark, and this was the moment that he was going to do it, and then it becomes kind of a crime of opportunity. He was going right. to kill Quark there, but our ladies arrive on the shuttle right at that same moment, and so now instead of just killing Quark and accepting that he was going to be arrested. Right. Now he's an opportunity to escape. Right. Now it turns into kind of this escape thing. That to me would have been way more compelling right. than this long running weird joke, I yeah. guess, of Quark trying to appease him in many ways right. and not being able to, no right. matter what he does. Yeah. Because that also cheapens the story because he's there and, and Quark is just like, Gonna try to like fix things with him. He doesn't, and in fact, Quark doesn't even go to tell Odo until after the whole soup and food incident when he pours the soup on the floor and yeah. throws away the meal and all that kind of stuff. Now right. he goes to me. While Quark is a schemer, right? He's also a bit of a coward. Yes. And if someone comes in and threatens his life, mm-hmm. he's not gonna wait around and try to appease the guy. Right. That so far that we see is completely unassailable in that regard. Right. And wait and wait and wait until it's almost too late. He's right. going to go and tell them up front. Now, 
the argument could be made that he didn't go and tell Quark right away or tell Odo right away because he also had business with the Iridian. Yes. And if, and if Odo was snooping around on one thing, most likely he would have found out about the other. Right. It's entirely possible. We know that right. Odo was a very dogged investigator and he has a particular <laughs> interest in, in Quark. bringing Quark down. Yeah. So, so yeah, but still, this guy being a, a, a shadowy figure. Right. It's kind of like. Kind of like one of those images, you know, where like we see him in one frame and he's like 120 yards away, right? Yes. And then the next frame, he's 75. And the next frame, yeah. 50. Like just always getting a little bit closer the well, whole time. I, I was, as you were talking, I, I, I was like, I would change up your scenario a little bit. I would have had it be like Quark is just doing his thing in his bar and then like out of the corner of his eye, he sees someone and he tries to figure out who, but they're gone. And like several times, we and Quark see this this figure, but we don't know who it is. And then when he goes to Odo, that's when he confesses like the story. Like that'd be the same scene, but like we can skip all that nonsense about you know he's threatened to kill him. We just know that Quark is afraid of someone for some reason, um, and we can also use that as a way we could we could spend more time on other things by cutting down Quark scenes a little bit. Um, right. I do like the scene where he tries to feed the guy and he like dumps the soup and like Quark's trying to bribe him. Because I mean, it's it was, comical. So in, right. that, in that moment, it was yes. it was funny to watch. Right. But for the rest of the of the whole developing plot that we had here, right. it just it makes everything else fall flat. And it right. and it does in a sense it almost cheapens the story of Melora because yeah. you know she she kind of. It's almost used as a way for her to find out about herself, right? Right. Because now it's like, oh, she was finally able to figure out this way of saving the day, and that never would have happened had we not had this thing. And it's like, but we could have still had that and not have so much lead up of this Quark story. Right. We could have still done the exact same thing. Yeah. And um, it, it would have enhanced, well, really, both. Right. I mean, they could have done it to where... You know, like you said, we don't we don't really see who this bad guy is, not all the way. And then finally, when Quark sees who he is, we kind of get maybe a bit of a flashback here, and right. we understand what their story is, and him getting captured by the Romulans and everything else. And so we know that's why this guy is here. Right. He was um, he's getting his revenge. Right. You know, that could have been a better way. Like as we see him being dragged off in the flashback screaming i'll get you cork if it takes me a hundred years or something like that i don't know just something else that would have you know one clued us in but also given us more drama right in that storyline right um i do want to go ahead i just want to say i did like though when he had control of the runabout and he threatened you know you better let go of this tractor beam or i'm gonna kill someone and i'm gonna prove it to you i'm gonna shoot someone right now that i'm i'm serious like I always want villains like it's always so annoying. Like it's the whole, you know, I'm gonna give a monologue. Um, I'm the villain. I give monologues, but I'm not serious. I don't actually threaten anything or do anything. He doesn't monologue. He says, "Release this tractor beam right now. If you don't, someone's gonna die, and I'm gonna prove it to you because you're taking too long as it is. I'm shooting her over here. You still got two more people. If you try, if you want them to live, you're gonna let me go. Um, and then again, what happens is that when he shoots Melora. Uh, it turns out that basically the the experimental procedure they were doing basically somehow allowed her to live a very serious phaser blast. I guess it was set to kill, um, and she lives and is able to then save the day. Um, so I like that he was a serious – when he actually was doing something, he actually was threatening to kill people, 
like even when he takes the the 199 bars of gold press latinum and the 42 rings of whatever like he commits like once the character is there and is in in, in action he was great it's just all that leading up to it stuff was was i thought a waste and just kind of needless but absolutely yeah and so then, of course, I wanted to point out another scene that I love, since we now talked about some things that we don't like. Um, another world-building scene, of course, is on the Orinoco. Here we go with those runabout names again. <laughs> on the Orinoco, and this is with Dax and Melora, and this is mm-hmm. when they're doing their mission. Right. And while they're doing their mission, you know, um, they're playing music and uh, they're playing some Vulcan music and they start talking about the different... Um, local musicians and how they sound and like that. So now we're getting more information about Vulcan and we're also getting some more information about Dax, like yeah. a surprising time to find information about Dax in an episode. That's not about Dax. Yes. We know that, say she, that too. you know, she's, she's met somebody, um, you know, who, who knew the artists that they were playing at the time. Right. And then of course, you know, Melora starts asking her for relationship advice and here's right. Dax. And once again, Bunch of lifetimes, bunch yes. of different experiences. Right. Is telling her about some some uh, two different species who, the, even their the very names of their species make them sound like they are completely incompatible, and yet right. somehow they found a way to not only establish a relationship but were together for like fifty years or something like right. that. Yeah, even though they could only be in a room together for like forty minutes a day, right? Forty minutes a day for fifty years, and they maintained a marriage. Of some kind. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so I mean, so we're, we find out, we're finding out about Dax, we find out about her music, her life experience, and she's giving some great advice to Melora here. So again, we get in this very short, condensed scene, we don't even see what mission they're really doing. Like, what are they doing in the Gamma Quadrant? We don't see any of that, but we do get a nice exchange between these two officers Mm -hmm. and, um... We find out some things about Dax, which we're always so hungry for. Right. Here. So yeah, right. again, great scene. Great yeah. scene. I yeah, this was definitely an episode where Dax got a little bit more time to shine, which I've been waiting for. But this is definitely a Doctor Bashir episode, and seeing as how the last episode Cardassians was also an episode that allowed uh, Doctor Bashir to shine, I do feel like uh, season two really is starting to grow his character. He's a more serious character this season. Um, and, uh, I'm liking that improvement for him as a character. I am too, you know, and we, we did hit Bashir pretty hard <laughs> in the first season. You know, he was so smug and over eager and naive yes. and, you know, his character has definitely grown a lot from right. just from season one to season two. Yeah. It's very nice to see. Um, and even when he's, you know, from the first moment that he was confronting Melora in her quarters about her broad shots that she fires off at people mm-hmm. to, um, um, to his taking down or, or yeah, taking down her walls and bringing her to the, um, Klingon restaurant and enjoying the Klingon restaurant with her. Right. You know, um, again, just seeing that kind of growth of character again was just nice. You know, right. there's nothing else to really say about it. And it's just great to see him do a bit more than being kind of annoying. I guess yeah. the only word you can describe him as. Yeah. And actually, we got a little bit of backstory for him, too. He tells the story of how he thought he was going to be a great tennis star player when he was younger. But when he first got to the real serious big leagues, he he says that uh, the person, like, 
served the ball and it like whizzed past he him fast. Yeah. Yeah, he heard it behind him before yeah. he could even blink to see it. So right. he's like, yep, yeah. uh, he changed his career choice very quickly after that. So. And a great story to humanize our doctor who's come off with so arrogant before, right. you know, and he it always just seemed like everything was just so effortless for him. And now we find out that here's a task that he thought he was just meant for, right. you know, built for, and then to be completely outclassed in one in one serve. Yeah. <laughs> so just, I think we've all, we can all relate. We've all probably had moments where we were like, oh, well, um, back to the drawing board. I, I did not think this through. Right. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I think Dr. Bashir really shown in this episode. Um, glad to see a little more of Dax. Um, everyone else kind of took a back seat in order to make room for their them. Uh, I guess Quark and Odo are the yeah. only ones that really got much more screen time. I don't even remember Kira yeah. in this episode like at all. Yeah, I was gonna say Kira wasn't really here. Cisco is barely there, and I mean Cisco just kind of because he's the station commander, right? He kind of has to be exactly in the mix of the episode. But yeah, I mean. If we're going to talk about people that we could probably cut from this episode who do nothing, Cisco would be one. I'm a huge <laughs> Cisco fan. I love seeing Cisco any chance right. we can get him. But you know, in this in this episode, we didn't really need him. Yeah, his anything. best part was just being like, "Hey, my meetings with my man, my senior uh, senior uh, officers is not an uncommon occurrence." But other than that, like he could have been cut from the final battle or fight Absolutely. or whatever. And Kira was yeah. just there to get them beamed onto the run about the first place like I think she's the one who hits the button for them when Cisco says give him 10 seconds um, yeah. and then but in all, give but us in 10 all honesty and yeah. honestly Kira's probably tired she did a <laughs> lot of heavy lifting yeah. in, the, in, in season one and the first part of season two that's true she probably just needed a break yeah you know they were just like so in this, I could just see them pitching episodes so in this week Kira and she's like oh god really <laughs> <laughs> can, can y'all make up a new character or something? Give me a week off because yeah, I'm Anna tired. like I'm gonna get top billing from here on out if you don't mm. give me a little break. Yeah. Uh. So um, before we wrap up, I did want to give a little bit of Trek trivia, Trek history here. Let's do um, it. The character of Melora was actually supposed to be the science officer on Deep Space Nine. Oh. So uh, there was not going to be a Jadzia Dax. There was going to be a Melora Pazlar. Um, she would oh. have been the first disabled character um, ah. to be featured as a main character on Star Trek. However, um, they ran into a lot of issues when it came to the filming of the weightless scenes. And yeah. it became like prohibitively expensive. Access so basically. Point. Yeah, they basically yeah. were just like, we can't afford to film this week after week, so no. Right. And so that's why the character of Melora was initially dropped. But they did love the idea so much that there was like a determination to have that character at some point right. pop up in the show. They had briefly flirted with the idea of making her a recurring character, mm. someone who was maintained as a continued love interest for Bashir, would right. pop up on the show and things like that. But yes, spoiler, doesn't happen. Right. All right? Um, and a lot of that, I feel like, it had to do with the fact that it was just so expensive to feel, film those weightless scenes. You yeah. Know? As soon as it happened, when, it, when they first yeah. turn it off, and you're like, oh, man, they really shot Bashir... And it probably did just on, you know, rigging, you know, strings, basically. Um, but it, for them, what it was, it was like, yeah, it's it's great little weightless looking scene. But I can imagine that would very yeah. quickly <laughs> get it out of budget yeah. fast. 
Absolutely. You know, so um, just bear that in mind. And also, you know, they fall into another bit of trivia here as this episode falls into the Star Trek beauty problem. And I, I like to call that uh, call attention to that anytime there's like a a actress, a particularly beautiful actress, right. who um, has to play an alien of some kind. There's always this desire to, no matter how alien they're supposed to be, never really mess with the main the structure face. of the yeah. face. <laughs> keep them beautiful, you know. Right. You, you can make them look alien, but keep right. them beautiful. Put those leopard and, spots down the side of the face for those right. trill. Yeah. So that's why, you know, the the makeup for um, Melora was actually done several different times. Apparently there was a lot of different people who had input on it because while they knew she needed to have some kind of facial distinction, they didn't want it to be overly pronounced because the actress who plays Melora is quite uh, striking. So they yeah. just didn't want to lose that. So, yeah, I, whatever they did with her hair, they put like kind of like beads in her hair. And as far as we can tell, they were just ornamentation, but I'm assuming that's all there was. It's not like that was know, right. part and of her physiology. Got, yeah. And then she's got that kind of ridge. triangular yeah. ridge in her head right. here. You know? right. And so again, it was a lot of upper prosthesis, right. enough so that, yes, you can tell she's an alien, but also you can kind of like separate and see the rest mm-hmm. of her and you know from like that point down she was all human and you know the beautiful blue eyed so forth <laughs> so yeah you know they just again that's that's a recurring thing that you will see in a lot of trek is right. if there's a particularly beautiful actress um playing a part they they don't mess with the face very gotcha. much so hey um, i'll give you a spoiler for for sherlock holmes in a similar vein you ready for a spoiler in sherlock holmes have you, have you ever read sherlock holmes by chance all the original stories not all of them no okay well maybe you'll them. remember and you know correct me if you think you're if i'm wrong here but if there's ever a beautiful woman in a sherlock holmes story you can always be sure that she is innocent there's never a beautiful woman that's ever described in sherlock holmes as she was the one who did it uh so at least from what I remember. She was never a femme fatale. There was never. I'll have uh, to go back and check that. There is that one femme fatale who's the name I can't remember right now, but she's always like. Let me just put it this way: all of the regular women, if like you're introduced uh-huh. to a character for just a single okay. story, and remember they're always uh, narrated by um, his partner. Um, Watson. Watson, yeah, and so if mm-hmm. Watson's ever like, oh wow, that woman was really beautiful or lovely or whatever, it's like, oh, she's she's good, she's she's always good. <laughs> okay, that's how I remember it at least. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, but that's and I mean, I and that's and that's kind of <laughs> true of that's kind of true of a lot of noir uh, storytelling and films too. Is the the beautiful damsel who you know she's mm. she's never truly you know guilty. There's a lot of doubt surrounding her and confusion, but ultimately she is never really right. the guilty party. She's just kind of a tragic damsel in distress, but you're not really supposed to realize that until much later. Right. And it's, and typically it's after she's died, after she's been killed. Yes. And then the story continues and the main protagonist is racked with guilt and, you know, drinks <laughs> an impossible amount of liquor. Right. Suddenly they realize that she was right all along and not guilty and so forth. Right. So Yeah. Um, recurring themes that um, sometimes work and sometimes don't. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so, before we wrap it all up, any final thoughts on the episode Melora? 
I think I said everything I can think to say. So yeah, yeah. Anything that, about this episode that you would like to see again, or wish that we would never see again? I mean, I, I I would have liked to see this character more. I think it's true of a lot of a lot of characters. You know, there's a lot of characters are great in the one episode they're in, and we if we could have them be recurring characters and see more of them, that'd be great. She's a great character for that. You know, someone who's a a tough. Uh, fighter. She's going to work hard to do things, even though she is having to work harder than other people just to, you know, maneuver herself. Um, but uh, as long as Dr. Bashir continues to grow as a character and we get more of Dax, I'm happy. Okay. Well, um, for me, I'm going to say that um, I will always take more world building, more of the kind of like side scenes, whatever you want to call them there. Anything that just gives me more of that little kind of anecdotal stuff on right. on Star Trek, you know. Mm-hmm. Again, a little side story about a Klingon chef. Loved it. Um, <laughs> some more things about the various music stylings of Vulcans or Romulans or the Breen or whomever other aliens that they have music for. I would love some of that. I would like the characters to tell me, you know, more stories about themselves and their past. Like, let's learning that Bashir thought he was going to be a top-notch tennis player. You know, maybe O'Brien thought that he would, I don't know, climb all over, climb all the tallest mountains in Ireland. I don't know, something. Just little things like that that make me, um, make the characters more believable, make them come right. alive more. I'm always, always interested in that. Um, what I don't need is obvious villains. I could definitely do with less of the obvious villains. Don't come on the station and the first words we hear you utter are, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Do something else. Move around a little bit. Make your presence known in some other fashion. Don't just be so one-dimensional. It's right. boring. It's, it always falls flat. It's never impressive. And, of course, we're just, we just don't care. We just right. don't care enough. Right. So, yeah, those would be my two things. But other than that, I still enjoyed this episode overall. I like the message that it was trying to convey. Right. Whether you feel like it was successful or not, that's on you. Right. But I do like the attempt. That's one thing I always will say about Star Trek. I like when they attempt to give us those things and do those things. So, yes. Right. That works for me. Yeah, I agree. Well, all right, guys. That's going to wrap it up for us tonight on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and here at the Fire Caves. Remember that you can find us on Facebook, Facebook, Spotify, Twitter, all the various social platforms, and anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify, and I enjoy it a lot. So find us, follow us, and if you have anything that you want to say, questions, comments, concerns, please feel free to reach out. Just keep it respectful. And other than that, we will catch you back here next week for Episode 7. Until then, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.